We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst here for you with the three-quarter season review. What an absolutely huge show for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Joined today to talk about Newcastle United and other things. I've got in no particular order. Ben Wade, Michael Collin and Simon Campbell sat around the table here with me in Seton Delaval. And live from London we have Norman Riley and Andrew Bollins. So the six of us today with absolutely loads to get through. We have, or we did, uh, the half-season review not that long ago. But that was late. So this is on time. That was late when me and Norman spoke here, I think, very, very start of January, end of December with that. So we've got loads to go through today and in no particular order. We're going to look at, or we're going to stay up, or who's going down. Everything that's happened pretty much over the winter period and since then. Transfers, Rafa, and loads, loads more. Um, we're going to jump into some more post-Manchester United debate, because, you know, why the fuck not? Since it was so class. One week ago today, lads. Best, I don't know if you're what you'd call an anniversary, because it hasn't been a year, but like... Like a week. Is there a word for that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, still, still an anniversary. Is it an anniversary? I thought anniversary was like a year. No, an anniversary. Oh, yeah, maybe it is. Anyway, it was a week ago today, and it was still fucking class, and we're still absolutely buzzing. Um, lads, well, first of all, and we're not for you, lads, you you know what I'm going to say. Listeners, we'll have some big news. Um, we are going to be creating a lot more content for you, a lot more Newcastle United content, which is accessible through our new Patreon page. At the end of last season, we did the review, um, kind of, what do you call it, Sub- support uh, survey, Survey. that's it, <laughs> and loads of people were saying we love the podcast, we want you to improve audio quality, we want you to do more shows, so I'm sure not everybody feels like that, but for those of you that, that do, um, you can pay a subscription of £5 a month to our Patreon page, which you'll find all over our social media and in the link to this podcast, it guarantees you, guarantees you two extra shows per week. So the main podcast that, that we do, which you're kind of listening to now, the big one, um, the longer one every week, that's free for everybody. That'll always be free. Um, but we really want to try and get some people on the show who will need to pay to come on, ex-players, one might have to travel to go and see them. Um, we want to do live shows, which will be free for all of the people who subscribe to the Patreon page in Newcastle and occasionally in London. Um, Simon, missing anything out here? What else are we going to do for people? We're going to do the match preview that's included in your in your subscription. There's the match day podcast, so we're at as a group kind pretty much every game anyway. So if you like the match day podcast, please subscribe, and you'll probably get three or four shows a week for your five pound a month. So it's like one twenty five a week for three or four shows. But I don't want changing standards on my case because, you know, when I'm with my business, I did these free taxi vouchers for people, and then they finished, and everyone got loads of free money off the taxis, and then like four months later, some lad was like, I was pissed in the middle of nowhere. And I couldn't get home because your voucher had expired. And trading standards literally were like, you should have put an end date on it. Like, it's your fault he was pissed in the middle of nowhere and couldn't get home. 
I was like, is it sold out on trading standards? So I said a minimum of two shows a week for five pounds a month. So eight shows a month uh, for five quid, but realistically it'll be three or four. Already next week we've got scheduled for subscribers. We've got um, a kind of show looking at the Premier League, the, the rest of the Premier League every week and other Premier League games from Newcastle United perspective. We've got the match preview. You're going to get uh, Norman and Bolland are down at Bournemouth with Charlotte. They're going to do the match day podcast available straight after the Bournemouth game. And then obviously there'll be the free show looking at the Bournemouth win and uh, all that kind of stuff. So Those please, lads are doing a show on Thursday as well, aren't they? Yes, the, the, the guys down in London are doing a show on Thursday. How could I forget? Very excited about it. I think, Norman, what have you called it? Lines from London or something? Or have I just put words in your mouth there? You put words in my mouth there. Um, we haven't got a name yet, but we've got the group that we have. We've called it um, The Exiles. So I think we're going we're gonna to play on the word Exiles, but TBC. <laughs> um, TBC, and obviously also you know, to be agreed upon by uh, the, rest of, the rest of you. So we'll see. Andrew and I will get together and come up with something catchy and fantastic. I don't doubt it. Well, the Exiles works for us, so you'll get that show as well. So it's £5 a month. Um, you know, it works on all of your, your usual podcast devices, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, the rest of it. You get When you subscribe, you get emailed an RSS feed. You just add that to your library and you can listen to it like you would all of the other podcasts. If you want to download the Patreon app, you can listen through there as well. But um, yeah, getting, you know, we we'll hope you subscribe. I'm sure everyone won't. By subscribing, you can help us keep the main show free. We'll, we'll plan to buy and kit out like a proper recording studio so we don't have to record in my kitchen anymore. Um, Instead, we'll be recording upstairs and yes, spare room. Upstairs and spare room, but with like genuine, real um, audio equipment. So, yeah, I hope that's all right. I hope I haven't rambled on too long about it. I hope like thousands of people haven't switched off. So, I think that's everything, lads. Um, that is available like from now, from right now. If you listen to this podcast, you can go and subscribe straight away. Drop us a line if you do. We'll say thanks. There's a couple of cringy videos that me, me sign, make have recorded on there as well. And that's, um, that's available now. So, enough of that. Let's talk about football. Post-Man United, it's still absolutely class. Um, we've had loads and loads of listener questions in for this podcast. Um, you know, Andy Emmers, and Andy underscore Emmers, who's a, a good listener of the show, has asked the, the, the question that's on everyone's list, lads, lips, lads. Um, if there were four Newcastle players to steal a taxi in Barcelona, <laughs> who, who, do you, who do you think, who would you guess, who do you think it would be? Anyone want to address this one first? It depends if it's a malicious, malicious uh, robbery or like just a, a comedy one. Cause Either. Shelby and Mitrovic would Shelby. probably do it to literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to Shelby and Mitrovic. Mitrovic doesn't play for us anymore though, so right. who's, who, who shall we? He'd, he'd probably still tag along on the last yeah. holiday to fucking Malaga or whatever. He's definitely still there. I'll tell you what, lads. Who's, who's, who would you say is the most responsible kind of, you know, quiet man squad player that we've got. Paul Dummett. Paul Dummett. Paul Dummett. Right. So Gareth Barry, right? Gareth Barry, the, like, you know, the world's most professional player. He's like <laughs> 73 now and he's still playing, right? He's obviously looked after himself all his career. Yeah. Got out of Barcelona, right? Dressed up as fucking Wiz Wally or whatever it was. Started sinking the mouths. And next thing you know, he's in a taxi driving it, steaming out in his face. That's a lad who's got a lot of pent-up frustration inside of him. And I think the person at Newcastle who would do a similar thing, it, you've got to look for a similar player. So if, if Dummy's the most responsible player, then I'm going, I'm going with Paul Dummett in a taxi in Barcelona. Top off at the wheel, three o'clock in the morning, steaming. So we've got Dummett. Don't touch too many stereotypes as well, but Kieran Clark, just because he's Irish. He's not, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, he's, he's Irish, I don't think, he doesn't speak with an Irish accent. He's as anyway. Irish as Matt Ritchie is Scottish, How? to be fair. Yeah. Matt Ritchie would also be in the car like <laughs> Matt Ritchie just gets he would, yeah he would just be so angry at something um, 
Do you see his reaction? Have you seen the video doing around his reaction when uh, our keeper like catches the last ball? Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> that's that's passion for you. Um, more, more on Matt Ritchie and passion later. Um, we, had a, we had a few questions. Um, also, kind of asking us what I mean. Any UFC nineteen eighty nine ninety four who contributes to the show has asked where does that win stand for us in terms of like greatest overall wins that you've seen St James's. Um, we don't have much to go on compared to him. Norman, you might have a bit more than us. Um, to, I was just good, I was just about to go to Ben, but he's he's he's, he's left. He's left a cough. Um, <laughs> so Mickey, then you're me right. Go on. Where, where does that game last Sunday rank for you? It's got to be up near the top because because of the circumstances. We haven't had it. We haven't had a day like that in a long, long time. And and really, although I was saying it all week on Twitter that we're going to win, nobody actually expected us expected us to win. And just our position in the league and the the desperate need for points and beating fucking Man United. Everyone seems to forget every year how terrible they are. How terrible their fans are. Constantly drawing on with their shite songs when they're winning but not making a peep when they're losing. Well, they're gone, you know. It was 1 0 and they're pissed the, off. Oh, they're they're left, gone. Yeah. 1 0. Um, yeah, so I, right near the top. I'd say one of, one of my top five days is Ed, so James's. That The key you said there was the, pre- the pressure that we were under. After Huddersfield had just spanked Bournemouth 4 1, which was a result that, result that sort of people come out of nowhere, really. Like, we'd, we'd dropped into the, um, the bottom three. There was obviously still Southampton to play later on, which if, if they'd have got something against Liverpool, it's one of those mental fucking games at Liverpool expected to batter them might have slipped up and, and we could have been realistically in the bottom three at the end of that um, end of that weekend so it was just just a massive massive result and especially following the, the games we've had that preceded it where we'd, we'd, we'd done really well and we'd, in both games we'd thrown away leads You'd, it was just such a massive massive um, win to, to sort of hold on so that's great and you're spot on but come on uh, to answer the question where does it rank for you in oh, terms sorry. of games well, you've seen. I, I, I missed I missed the, <laughs> the other question. Um yeah it was up there. Lovely analysis unbelievable. Beautiful. unbelievable. I think um just the the, the nerves, I mean I, I said I created at the time. <laughs> Give us a number. Can, can, is number there any one. games number better one. than that you've seen? No, it's what in the top two. In right. the top what, two. What's the other one? I think Norwich come back last season okay. was unbelievable. In recent memory, Chelsea when we went to Soko did Chelsea on his own, that was that was up there as well. I'd say Sissoko did Chelsea on his own, but it was a beautiful first goal by Jonas Goodyear. It was. Yeah, to take the lead. Um, what about you, Sai? Um, I think we're getting to that age now where I'm starting to struggle to remember football matches. So in recent memory, it's the only one I've got now. <laughs> I can't even remember that Chelsea game. I was there. But so that's, that shows you how long it's been since the last time I had a, a mental day. I, I missed the Norwich game last season as well. Oh. So for me, I was on holiday. Uh, I think what made made it made it so good. Sorry for cutting off there. Uh, it was it wasn't just a smash and grab one nil. I think if it had just been like the batters and we'd nicked a goal, obviously it would have been class to beat Man United, but it would have, wouldn't have been as beautiful a moment because we actually outplayed them for large portions of that match. I mean, they had Sanchez's open goal, but apart from that, I'm struggling to think of many other chances they had. Like we were the better side, and with the group of lads we've got and the amount of stick they've taken from myself included about not having the quality to compete at this level. To go and turn out a performance like that, like it's just special. It was really special, and like as opposed to if we just gone been had ten percent possession and nicked a goal from a corner or something, like it was just it was just brilliant. Yeah, we deserved it. Norm. Um. Obviously, I've got you know, a few more years on on you lads, uh, unfortunately. So you know, I'm probably probably close to dying. Um. So we're gonna. <laughs> well, um. I mean, nothing, nothing will ever compare. Nothing will ever compare the elation of the, the you know, the, it's a cliche about the one 0 against Portsmouth under Keegan. Like, I don't, I, I think I'll forever be chasing that that particular moment of just utter release. Um, and then 
the first season back in the Premier League, the three 0 victory at home to Liverpool. Given Liverpool's history, as you know, other, I mean, they were coming at the end of that kind of era of dominance, but they were like the man you of my of my kind of childhood, you know. Um, but this this game on Sunday, context-wise, it, it it's up there because yeah, it, the difference in the game now compared to what it was 20, 30 years ago in terms of the the gap between the gap in wealth is huge and the, the elation that I felt. Like, even during the game, there was like almost like a kind of um, like a, a feeling of elation. You were just like you were just on edge, completely on edge all game, and it was unbelievably exciting. And then and then when the final whistle went, I just uh, just a release of pure unadulterated joy. Top top three. There you go. Very well put. Uh, myself, yeah, I mean, Sunderland 5-1 was a great day, but it didn't matter, like like no one says the context of it. Sunderland 5-1 was just like, it was like, I don't, I don't know what the right, it was pure, like, revenge. It was pure, like... That was fun. This was this yeah. is important. Uh, yeah, it's I, been I, fun. Getting Arsenal four four was the same. It didn't yeah. mean anything. Villa six nil this after the relegation season. Villa six nil. That was like yeah, yeah. that was beautiful. But this proper chummy. That was that was up there. In in terms of, uh, I think this is. I'm I'm probably looking. It was obviously the most recent, and it's still so fresh. I'm probably looking at that for me. My favorite ever Newcastle win last Sunday, just because, just because it, it's a fan base and it's a. It's a club that I've been through so much, and Man United have come with their the Holland Globetrotters and their millions of pounds spent on talent in their wage bill, which like you know Sanchez probably gets paid more. This is an exaggeration, but he probably gets paid more than you know quite a few of our players combined. And for them to go and do what they did to that team and and to put and, and, and kind of be rewarded for the effort we've seen them put them all in all season. I think we've said regularly that we haven't got what we deserved. Quite often this season, we'll fucking got what we deserved on Sunday, and that's what made it. That's what made it so good. I think um, Bolland, you alluded to that. I'm just kind of repeating your point here, so we'll move on. Thanks for those questions. Plenty more to come. Um, we're going to start the, the three quarter season review. Um, you know, you look at the quarters of the season. You've got quarter one up till the first nine games or whatever. Um, good, decent in 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 a nice place. Quarter two, catastrophic. Um, there's no other way to put it. Yeah. And then quarter three. The third quarter, Norman, would you would you agree in, in that it's been very very good in terms of only, only defeats to Man City, in it and Chelsea in the cup in the league only defeats to Man City and I suppose my first question, Norman, for you was Rafa in this period has just been so calm, particularly throughout January, as other clubs have been spent. Well, every other club has spent a fortune. Every other club, all of our rivals have spent at least fifteen million quid, and we we have not. So, Norman, how do you assess Rafa in his performance in this uh, this quarter of the season when the pressure's been on? I mean, his um, obvious obvious ability is one of the world's greatest football and tactical minds has come to the fore. Um, we had that that hideous spell, like you see, in the second quarter of the season, um, and to a certain extent, it almost felt like it, it was out of his hands. Uh, there was a, a, a malaise or, or an extreme lack of confidence as well. Let's not say malaise because the players always give it a roll, but obviously, the big um, there were some you know big losses in there when you had. Yeah, I think was Lascelles out for a bit. Possibly, um, that was a, that was a, a huge impact, um, and we were just on a on a kind of downward spiral. And um, and obviously then all the takeover talk started, and the the anger that, that I suppose he felt in the summer during the um, during the, the transfer window that, had, that that had started dissipating, and it was almost like all right, all I can do now is focus on what we've got and what I'm doing. And, and there was the, the kind of potential of the takeover on the horizon, so that I don't know that maybe maybe that had like a common effect. I don't know. Um, and he's just he's just turned it round. Um, and 
Well, I mean, what, what more what more can you say? Yes, our rivals have gone out there and they've spent they've spent big money. We've got a, we've got a few loan signings, and I mean, Dubravka looks like an outstanding loan already, as does Kennedy. Um, Slimani, I'm sure, will be a, a good signing. Um, I mean, the part of me thinks that maybe Rafa thought this takeover was going to happen. I mean, I know for a fact. Now, I, whether or not we were all convinced that it was going to happen, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of it was a kind of us just, you know, clutching at straws to a certain extent. When you, you want something so bad, you know, you start believing every single thing that you read about it. Um, and maybe maybe Rafa was under the impression it was going to happen as well. Um, and maybe maybe that's kept him calm. I don't know. But but now it's clearly not going to happen. He's he's obviously seen something from the players that have that has just yeah he has. He's, he's been almost serene. Um, the the win against West Ham, I think, which we spoke about in the half season review, was was huge, and I think that instilled a lot of confidence not only amongst the players, but I'd imagine in Rafa and the coaching staff. I think they probably saw something that day. Um, and over the Christmas period, in, up, up to and including Stoke, that made him think, what we've got here, we can work with, and we're going to be all right. And um, he's just, he's just taking it, he's, you know, like, you know, as daft as it sounds, you know, like, uh, you, you know, you, you run a business, and, you know, you're, you're not, you've got to kind of maintain your calm and your focus all the time, regardless of the shit that's spinning, like, spinning around you, you've got to be like that, that figurehead, and, you, and people, like, they rely on you, and that's, that's what the players are being able to do at the moment, Rafa, and that's what the fans are doing. And he's just like, he's just managed it perfectly. There's, there's no one I can't think of anyone in the position that he's in and the position that we were in after I think maybe the what one of the, the last defeat before we played West Ham. I can't recall who it was. There's nobody else I'd rather have in that position. He's just been, he's just been fucking brilliant. And, and as of, as of the players, absolutely superb. Very well said. Do you think that that? The difference in him in the January transfer window compared to the summer transfer window was potentially forced by the likes of Bishop, um, which you know was went into a lot of detail um, during the press forum recently. And the the journalist said that Bishop basically comes up from London to make sure Rafa doesn't go off on one in press conferences. Do you think that's the case, or do you think that maybe he's just maybe a little bit more focused and 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 kind of because of the takeover stuff, knew or, or felt maybe. Not, not like you haven't been lied to like you have in the summer. Um, this, this obviously, oh, this is just a purely personal opinion based on you know observing, like let's say observing Rafa's career so far, and you know looking at looking at what Keith, Keith Bishop ultimately is. I mean, you know, you look at you look at his you look at his company on Twitter, and they're just a bit of a joke organisation. To be fair, um, there is no way, in my opinion, that Rafa Benitez is taking orders from someone like Keith Bishop. This is a broker who worked at Real Madrid and Florentino Perez. He worked at Napoli. There is absolutely zero fear that Keith Bishop can instill in Rafa Benitez. Benitez has gone out there. He's known what he's got. He's got, he's got what he's got and he knows that he's had to work with it. And, and because of that, he's, he's maintained, maintained that calm and he's been incredibly professional. If Keith Bishop's had any impact on, on Rafa at all, I'd be shocked because, because he is nothing compared to Rafa Benitez. In terms of stature, in, in, in the... In the world of football, and just beyond that, as a person, he's absolutely nothing. And I can't for one second believe that anything he said had an impact on how Rafa's behaved. No, no, he's just Rafa's just gone up there and he's done what he does best: coach football. He's a he's a consummate football politician as well. He knows what he's doing and he's doing it perfectly. So I, Keith Bishop, no, I'm, no, I'm yet, not a chance. Bolland, you had a point to make. Yeah, as well as Norman's just sort of made it. I think. Expectations from Rafa in this transfer window were probably on the floor, given that he's been lied to for the last two. He's just gone. Do you know what? I don't need to go out on the press this time and say, you know, look, I've been lied to. We haven't done what we said we were going to do because it speaks 
for itself now, doesn't it? Like the fact that we've brought in three lads on loan. Yes, well, Kennedy and Dubrovka look very good, and I suspect Soleimani will be good. But like the fact that we've only gone out and got three loan signings, and as you've said, everyone around us has spent like a minimum of fifteen million. It just it says more than anything Rafa could ever say. The fans, he keeps saying the fans know what's going on. Like he doesn't need to come out and whinge sort of like he did after the summer transfer window because Ashley's done his talking for him basically. Go on then, sorry. Um, I think there's an element of, of what, what happened last time as well, is that when Rafa was coming out and making a lot of noise about, about being lied to and not being backed, Keith Bishop and Sky managed to turn that against him. They had ex-players on, they had people come on saying, Rafa just needs to get on with his job. So this time around he thought, well, you know, I'm not going to give them fuel for that because it's probably more damaging to just let them... It's wrong, but there were twists and stuff around to make that kind of the narrative against him. So It's almost like he's suggesting that Sky have some kind of anti-Newcastle agenda. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Rafa knows that now, and he's just thought, oh, you know what, I'm not going to give them anything to go on. Yeah, um, Norman, kind of what you just finished with there um, leads me on to my next question, which is how you think we've changed tactically. However, um, I've just got a bit of an off-the-cuff question um, from uh, at Weisman Twitter, who said... Would you have swapped Sunday's 1-0 win, considering the context and Rafa and his future at the club, with being able to beat Man United 1-0 in 1996? What would you have preferred and what would be bigger for the future of the club? Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> um, oh, you could have given me some advance warning of this, mate. I could have written like 500 words on it. Um, well, you know, there is, right, there is an outlet you can right. do that on, so... <laughs> The true, you know, in fact, I'll do an article on that, definitely. But uh, right now, gut instinct... Um, look, where was I? I was working. I was working in the Channel Islands in uh, when the ninety-five, ninety-six season. In the, the the day that we lost the title, the day that we lost the title was actually the last day of the season. We drew one one morning to home to Spurs. Um, Man U people are three 0 I mean, you know, it was it was obviously never going to be never going to be the case that Borough or Brian Robson were going to do a number of Man U. Um, and I just remember crying, crying my eyes. Eighteen years old in a pub, blubbing my eyes because that was like the final nail. But that was like twenty-two years ago. And would I would I like to have a title like a Newcastle United winning title side of my life? Of course I would. Of course I would. But that's the past, man. This is now. You know what I mean? Like the Sunday was unbelievable. The games changed so much that, like, for for me right now, Sunday was more important because ninety-six happened and there's no there's no going back. Shit answer. Um, but I'm gonna articulate it. Beautifully, in a uh, in articulated in an article. There you go. I'm articulate an article for uh, for Duke Eight, but that's a hell of a question. Nice a hell of a question that I can't I can't give it anything that sounds kind of verbally coherent. So there you go. Right, and one more question before we go on to tactics. Since kind of the last quarter of the season when things were going tits up, um, at your film underscore ko says, will Rafa build a team again under Mike Ashley if the takeover doesn't go through? Can he trust Ashley to keep his word, and do you think it'll happen? Can't trust Ashley to keep his word at all. I mean, there's no, there, there is, there is zero evidence throughout Mike Ashley's tenure at Newcastle that his work can be, um, his work can be trusted. Um, I, you know, now what is there's a couple of things I'd like to see now, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put them on, on like you know, on a public forum because uh, that, that, that's so. That, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm completely like, conducting my own kind of psychological analysis of Mike Ashley, and some of the words I use may be uh, inflammatory. Um, so no, don't trust Mike Ashley at all. And I think that if Mike actually stays, and if the pre-season coming up goes as the one did last, uh, obviously the start of this season, then Rafa will have to seriously give consideration to the rest of his career because he's not getting any younger and he could walk into one of the top jobs in Europe without a doubt. 
and it's not a case of money we're happy as we know that. Um, however, if the Premier League money that we'll get from staying up is given to him, then if it's given to him, if that money's given to him, that money along with you know a wage, a reasonable wage budget, then of course he'll stay because he wants to. He wants to stay. He wants to take. He wants to get the club from like the grassroots level, and he wants to change the whole culture. He wants to do everything, and he has the ability to do that. Um, but if you're relying on the word of Mike Ashley, then you're, you're dancing. You're, you know, you're, you're dancing with the devil. You're taking a um, you're taking a gamble, and that's that's the reality. But I don't, I, I won't, I don't trust anything Mike Ashley says until he's actually done it. So if he turns on and says, of course, if we stay up, Rafa's getting 90, 90 million, whatever. The moment I'll believe it is when he actually fucking gets it. Until that point, nah, no trust whatsoever. And there's none of us here, I believe, that would, if Rafa had his fingers burned again, again by Mike Ashley, because it's not the first time, it'll be like the fourth or fifth time, if he has his fingers burned again by him, none of us would turn around and say, hey, if he left and, and they hold it against him, you'd be, you know what, thank you so fucking much and best of luck to you because you're better, you're better than that. So there you go. There we go. Right. Good Good answer. Talk to me about what's changed tactically to create this good running format we've been in, if anything. Ta- tactically, um, not the, not, no major changes tactically. The movement of players around the pitch has been the biggest difference, in my opinion. Um, Moore the Army, is, is, we've, we've gone into this before, and you know, I mean, I'll go into it again a million times over because um, my, my love for the man is, I mean, it's unconditional now, completely unconditional. Um, <laughs> The, the, the movement of the army, the the signing of Kennedy, which has lift, not only lifted like it, not only in terms of Kennedy's ability, just the the lift that he's given the fans to see someone of the, well, that kind of that kind of raw ability on the pitch. Um, Shelby's come out of his out of his shell because of you know the, the way the army's been playing. He's been doing a lot of his labouring for him, and it's and it's and it's freed him up massively. Um, and even even Galen Perez not not getting the goals, but their work rate. You, you, you know what it is. You can never really fault them for the work rate. Anyways, prior to the to the decent run that we've been on, but that almost seems to have gone through the roof. Um, and also, the cells is just getting better and better every game. Like it's 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 not it's not an exaggeration to like say that I, I don't recall the cells. And, and then I remind me like then I please do remind me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't recall the cells making one mistake this season. He's been unfucking believable. Um, sorry, Alex, go on. No, I was just going to say more on the cells later. <laughs> All right, right. Yeah. No, I won't go into that. What I, what I will do is see, as I say, tactically, as far as I can see, or, or like observing it, we've obviously the, the whole four four two experiment when we all got a bit excited. As a fan base, we got very excited. You know, we all know the pre-born with game on. We're sat in that restaurant eating food and drinking beer, and we all, you know, we're all getting a little bit too happy and merry because we've been drinking cider or whatever. <laughs> well, four four two, we're going to battle them. We're going to get to Europe. Blah blah. Um, that experiment. I'm glad to see the back off because we don't have the personnel to, to play that. And obviously Rafa's realised that as well. And he's he's gone back to basics and it's been hugely beneficial. And, and also you've got Paul Dummett come back and say Dummett has been fucking superb. You know, I've, I've thought I've thought that Manquillo has done a really good job given given his like season at Sunderland, given how his career has panned out since I let it go. I've been really impressed with him, his application, his effort, and you can't fault him. But what it, what Dummett come back to say has, has proved is that, you know, he's He's, he's a vital, he's a vital player in that side, um, and same saying in your contract, it's just been been a great thing. Um, and and also, uh, what was the other point I was going to make? Um, the the technically the games against Man City, the the home game against Man City, people what was was so many people being negative about that performance. Bollocks to it again in context. 
we've had an aggregate res- result against Man City of losing 4-1 this season. All right, we lost. It's never good to lose, blah, blah. But in reality, like our goal difference is far superior to other sides down there. And again, that's going to come into play. I don't doubt that's going to come into play in the next few weeks, at least, if not at the end of the season. Um, so he's, he's nailed it tactically. The only, the only possible criticism you could make tactically, um, the Brighton game at home, nil-nil. But there was a reason behind that. He wanted to stop the rot. We want a shit run at home. We kept a clean sheet and we didn't lose, right? But there's one little hill that we we climbed. Um, Burnley and Swansea. Burnley one nil up. Maybe if we had gone for it a little bit more and got the second goal, that would have been it would have been done. Um, Swansea just just bad luck. Um, the only disappointment, and I'll wrap up in a second. Sorry. The only disappointment. Um, it's after Swansea was we equalised. I thought we had the momentum and we didn't. Um, we kind of didn't use that momentum in it, and it, and it finishes a disappointment on Old Joe. But again, in context, loads of chances created. Probably should have won both games. I'm happy. Well, great answer, and that brings us very much into Bolland's uh, part of the show. So, Bolland, um, Norman's just alluded to the draws. I mean, why, why didn't you give your opinion what Norman said there, um, and also then talk us through about the, the four draws we've had? I've kind of put this one to you because you've been fairly vocal on the podcast about it, but would you have rather had two wins and two defeats, which would have resulted in more points, or do you think the unbeaten run and the confidence of the team, which is so important and so fragile, has been worth uh, keeping intact with the draws? So, uh, we talked about this after Palace. I think it's been good and also not well. It's not been, it's not been great, I'll put it that way. But you just think, so the Burnley game, we were on top and we probably should have won, in my opinion. Um, as well as the, the Swansea game, Brighton game. It's both, both very winnable games. And for me, I think if we just, if we just won at least two of them and crept over the line to sort of 32, 32 points... You're looking at the rest of the fixtures going well. We've still got West Brom, Southampton, uh, Watford away is probably a winnable game, and we're, we're basically there. We're basically at safety. But having said that, like what, what Norman said, stopping the rot was was really really necessary, and we've still picked up four points. And uh, at the end of the day, we're still ahead of was it seven other teams at the minute. So in that in the context of it, it is good. But I think probably for my own personal anxiety, I would rather have been a little bit closer to that safety mark. Um, Wouldn't we all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just as well with some of the games we've got coming up, just to take some of the pressure off. I mean, we still got to go to Spurs, we've still got to play Chelsea, still Arsenal, Liverpool, Everton, Leicester, and we're still, there's a lot of pressure on those games against West Brom, Southampton, Huddersfield, <laughs> and Watford. So for me, I feel like we deserve three points against Burnley, and I feel like we should have. We've got the players capable of beating Brighton at home. So just to have got even two wins out of that, I think, get us a little bit closer to safety, take the pressure off, um, would have been would have been great. And yeah, I think it would, that would have been handy. Uh, the performance as well, though, I think have helped build that confidence back up to the point where we got that performance against Man United, and you know that was brilliant to see, and that's going to give them a. a infinite amount of confidence heading heading to Bournemouth next weekend so it's not not great but it's not a disaster either the, the four draws uh, Mickey wants to come in first just um, just to say I think if we go those four draws which you're talking about if we if we take those and we take two wins and two defeats out of that the attitude of the team going into Man United last weekend would have been different and we might not have got that result I think I think that that win against Man United at this critical point in the season with the running coming ahead 
will give us so much confidence going into the next couple of games, and I think it was crucial. And I, I, I'm not convinced that that result against Man United happens. If it depends on we lose Palace. if we lose, yeah, if we lose a Palace, yeah. all the way those two, yeah, two went. So yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's what I was just saying. I think the, the four draws built up, built up to that moment. Yeah. Um, and as I say, my thinking behind this is very much behind. I just want to get to like 38, 40 points as soon as possible because, um, as you all know, I get very nervy about these types of things and. Uh, and so on. So, yeah, I agree with what you've said, Maggie. I agree. Norman? I just want to congratulate Andrew on the, the most positive, in the short amount of time I've known him, that's the most positive I've ever heard of him. And I think <laughs> moving to London, moving to London's given him like a, a new lease of life. He's looking at the world through different lenses. And, and I'm, I'm, I tell you what, give it, give it another month down here with me and he's going to be the most positive person in the world. I can feel it. Bolland, Bolland used well, to be by far and away the most positive of all of us. Some, some tweets asking for a return of cheery Bolland, so I'm going to life coach you, mate, down here. I'm going to coach you. I think that's a very little uh, interesting way of saying so, subs- subscribe to True Faith on Patreon to hear Bolland positive on the Exiles podcast every Thursday, <laughs> or every second Thursday. More that later. Um, sorry, I cut Mickey off before, sorry. It's all right. Um, you've, <laughs> made, you've, made your, you've made your point, Mickey. Um, Bolland, I know we're going to get into fixtures and all that and points when Ben speaks to us later, but got a question here from, who was it, Liam, is it at Liam Cabo. Um, is it potentially a benefit, though, to play teams in the top half at this point of the season, like we saw from Man United, who have got, they've got pressure and they've got things to play for, but, you know, you saw that performance from Man United and all the pundits have said it was just lethargic, it was just expectant. And is it potentially, you know, the games against Leicester and Everton who will have nothing to play for, are they not maybe even more positive to have to play compared to the likes of um, Southampton and Huddersfield at home, which will just be massive games for, for the opposition. Um, so I think Everton and Leicester games are slightly different. I'd say playing Spurs away and playing possibly playing Chelsea last day of the season is going to be a totally different cat of fish because Chelsea could be battling for the top four on the last day. don't know how that's going to pan out. And Spurs are just an absolute monster of a team. Um, so to answer that question, I'd, I'd much rather be playing Huddersfield at home than Spurs away. I think I think he was sorry. I probably misquoted him a little bit. I think he was more about Everton, Leicester, Watford. I mean, Watford are probably back in the relegation zone, but certainly the Leicester and Everton games. I mean, we went to we went to Leicester and Everton last time we went down away, and both were horror shows. So maybe I'm scarred from that. But I think they're going to be really difficult games. I mean, Allardyce isn't going to want to let us get one over him, especially with his relationship with Beniers. That's going to be an incredibly tough game, I think. Uh, and Leicester are a very, very good football side, and regardless of where they're, what they've got left to play for, that's going to be a tough game as well. And I think at this stage in the season, I would much rather be playing a rubbish Huddersfield side at home than a really rubbish West Brom side at home than, than, than those sides. I think um, they're the games we need to win. The, those home games that we've got left, they're the ones that we need to really focus on. We win those games, we'll stay up. We know that Chelsea last day of the season. I got a question here that was submitted by LJ. Um, we need to beat Chelsea last day of the season. We we'll have to beat them. Very quickly, because it's a long podcast, what's your start 11? Uh, the team that played Manu. All right, no Solani. Uh, well, we don't know if he's going to be any good yet. Yeah. But yeah, if he is good, then obviously he gets him. <laughs> but the, uh, the back four in the midfield stays the same, and the keeper. Fair enough, well answered. We only really need to draft him in goal, and that'll be Chelsea. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kennedy yeah. can't play, though. Yeah, good shout, Candy can't play. Uh, the Rafa can play left wing as well. I'd, uh, I'd, well. I'm sure we'll get onto this. Put Murphy in for Kennedy then. Yeah, well, just, yeah, nice little segue. Bolland, beautifully done. Jacob Murphy, um, fan's favourite. And he 
or he was becoming a fan's favourite and putting some really strong performances, particularly when we were having a bad time. Um, what do you? What do you? Why? What's happened to him? Why has he not been involved? And you know, we've seen the reemergence of Matt Ritchie. Obviously, it's been a good week for Matt Ritchie. But do you do you back that? Do you think you know what Ritchie? He's made the right call, and there is the evidence to prove that. Or do you are you disappointed by Murphy's kind of falling away in a first team context? So I think we said before Palace. I would have liked to have seen him start ahead of Ritchie. I think his directness and his pace are massive. However, I can understand why he's not in the team. And I think uh, at 22, the bloke's still incredibly raw. He's not played a lot of Premier League football. And as you know, we've talked about on the podcast in the past that uh, one of the things that Rafa Benitez values massively is, is experience. And it's something you know we've said that possibly we don't have a lot mm-hmm. of. And I can see he's gone for Richie over Murphy probably from that aspect. Um, as well... As I said, he's been 22. Benitez is probably still trying to blood him gently into the team. And I think physically and from a mental aspect, because who knows, if he throws this lad in and he starts playing consistent Premier League football, maybe it goes to his head. Maybe that's something that Benitez feels like he needs to manage. Um, So there's an element of that. And I was thinking about this this morning, and I think the main reason is, if you look at Paul Dummett getting his new deal this week, the thing that Rafa's like hammered home is that he, he can trust Dummett. He, he he likes players he can trust, and Richie's played just about every single game for us since he's arrived at the club. And Rafa clearly feels like he can trust trust Richie. And with such a crucial run in now, as we've spoken about, I think that's why he's gone for Richie. And Richie has those big moments in him. We saw in the Championship that like he he'll get that goal. Like Man United on Sunday, he got the goal. He, he pops up with assists. I mean, he's been incredibly unlucky in some respects this year because I think he's had something like 45 shots on on target or 45 shots and he hadn't scored one of them until Sunday, um, which is just like outrageously unlucky. Um, and he does he does a lot of the lot of the dirty work, which I think Rafa probably can trust. I, I compared him to Gufran after Crystal Palace because um, he he'll pitch in, he'll, he gets back, he defends, and I think. That's why he gets the nod over Murphy because Rafa trusts him. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys got anything to add into that. Yeah, Ben. You've you've made all the points there. I thought I was about five minutes in it. I was like, oh, can I t- oh no, he's just gone on more. I think that's the key thing there is it's it's the trust. Like you, when you look at the teams that have stayed up in the past, it's it's the teams that are defensively solid. So Richie is someone that's going to work his ass off and. and for this season, he predominantly does does his best work defensively. He works back. Last season, you saw it a lot as well. Um, he works hard for the team. I think Murphy's come come into the into the team this year. He's probably not really aware of, of exactly sort of how Rafa wants, and he doesn't know where he needs to be positionally wise. And and he's still a, a young lad. Um, so I think it would have been a, a massive pressure on on him to to be relying on on sort of doing all that donkey work that that Richie does sort of naturally and and, and sort of his second nature because he's so used to doing it. I think. As Mickey said as well, Richie's been really unlucky this year. I mean, he must have hit the post three, three or four times already this season. I mean, turn those into goals and, and we're not in the position we're in and we're flying and his confidence is through the roof. I think he probably got a little bit of a rest just after Christmas because he probably the, he was tired anyway in terms of the way, the emotional sort of roller coaster of the season. I think he just needed a little bit of a break. And, and Murphy as well, I think, has a role still to play 
coming off the bench at the end of games. I mean, I'm surprised we haven't seen a bit more of him coming on in the last 10 minutes just to stretch the, the, the play a bit. But I, th I think what Richie gives you sort of almost as a sort of defensive winger um, is invaluable. And, and as we'll, we'll go on to it later on in the, the, in, in the, uh, the show, but the sort of the defensive strength of the team is so important to staying up that I think Rafa, he's put that as like the time amount uh, thing to, to concentrate on. Yeah, just really quickly before we go to Sai, um, <clears throat> Matt Ritchie was rubbish over Christmas last year. Yeah. So Rafa's probably learned from that a little bit and seen his form start to drop and, and rested him as a result of that thing. Well, last year we just played him and played him and played him. And then he just, it was like, it was February against Derby at home when he got that goal that he got back in the form. So I know everyone wants to make points here, but I've got the side first. Yeah, just, just quickly, just quickly, we'll move on. Um, yeah, <laughs> over Christmas, uh, Murphy was a better player, definitely, over, over a two to three month period. But I think it's, it's something like 35% of all our goals have come from set pieces. Matt Ritchie's our set piece taker. Last Wednesday against Burnley, he wasn't on the pitch to take the penalty. Like, yeah. would, would it beat Burnley if Ritchie was on yeah, the pitch? Yeah. Just for penalties and corners and free kicks. He's invaluable because he's he's by far and away the best set piece take we have. Well, it was such a positive podcast until you reminded me of Hostel's penalty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bolland, so Bolland then Norman. Uh, I was just going to say what Sai just said. He oh, says well, set pieces and things are invaluable to us, but I think um, say it again. one of the things that you, you noticed, like you made a comment about, is like reaction to the keeper saving the ball against Man United. <laughs> he's like he's one of our leaders on the pitch, like. Him, the cells, and Dummett, I think the three of them, Shelby as well, that talisman sport. And maybe in a certain situations, Murphy, because he's a young lad, might sort of shrink like shrink away from it, but you always see Murphy sort of like, he looks wild up, he's passionate about it, and I think that probably helps the players on the pitch as well. Like, you look around and you see someone like Matt Ritchie who's given it everything. It's just a huge lift for everyone, isn't it? Nice one, Norman. Yeah, quickly, just wanted to say, isn't it nice to have um, Atsu, Murphy, Ritchie, and Kennedy as options? It's like a very good position to be in that we've got. That, that is, I mean, I may be getting a bit excited here, but that is strength and depth in those positions. And it's a credit to Rafa that he's managed to do that on a pathetically shoestring budget. So I have reasons to be positive, definitely. Absolutely. So we'll go from the um, strengths of our wing play to the strengths of our defence side. Newcastle have the best defence uh, defensive record um, in the top part, the bottom half of the Premier League. Only Arsenal have... Arsenal have actually got a joint, the same defensive record in terms of goals conceded, which is very good. Um, I suppose we've talked about and done a couple of videos about it in the past. You know, Do you back this defensive approach? Do you think it's starting to now bear fruit? Norman has alluded to goal difference. We've seen the result against Man United and stuff like that. Do you think this defensive way we'll have of setting up? And we are a defensive team. There's no make no bones about it. We don't have the ball as much as other teams. We don't have as many shots as other teams, but is it starting to bear fruit? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a simple answer, really. It's, it's down to personnel. We don't, I mean, we've just talked about some of the good attacking players we've got, but that's not many. Um, we don't have a proper striker until we see what Slane can do. Uh, at the start of the season, we basically had Gale, Shelby, Richie, with any Premier League experience from an attacking sense, but we had you know, a, a good foundation of a defence. He's managed to add Lejeune, Manquillo with experience. And it was just kind of the obvious thing to do was to build from the back because we, if we'd gone out this season and set up to attack teams, we'd probably embarrass ourselves. Like we just, just don't have the quality. Perez in there as well, I suppose. He's, he's got quite a lot of Premier League experience. But yes, we'll have to start with, with defending. It's what we did last season, best. We only just scraped the championship by being hard to beat and by making sure we didn't lose stupid games. Um, so, I mean, it's, Rafa does get a bit of criticism for being a bit negative, but it's not like Jose Mourinho where he's got the option to be attacking, but just likes to be cautious anyway to make sure he wins games. We have to play defensive to give ourselves the best chance against every Premier League opposition. So, 
And you know what? It, we got found out in um, between October and December when we went on a terrible run. And I think Lascelles was out for five of those games and we conceded something like 15, 16 goals. But we got found out, people kind of worked out that if they score the first goal, we haven't got much to come back at them. And that's the same reason we have to be defensive because <coughs> if we don't concede that first goal, we've got a chance in any game. But we haven't got the ability to kind of go out and blow teams away. So absolutely, it's 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 finally paying dividends because I think we've been unlucky a lot of times by conceding that first goal. But yeah, defensively, we've, we've, we've finally cracked it and we're, we're getting the rewards now. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, I mean, no one alluded to it earlier, but Paul Dummett's return to the team just seems to have been absolutely massive. I'll throw a hyperbolic question at you. Um, would we even be in relegation trouble if Paul Dummett hadn't gone off against Spurs? Who asked? Did someone send this question in? It's mental. Uh, I've, seen, I've, I've seen the statistics thrown out last week after my new game. It's really good reading for Paul Dummett, obviously. Something like we lost nine games before he came back, and since he's come back, we've only got beat off Man City. It looks brilliant. There's class. And you know what, I like him now. Ask me two years ago about Paul Dummett, I would have given a really nasty answer because I thought he was terrible. The lad has improved so much in two years. Um, he's, he's come back into the team at the same time Lascelles has kind of got fit again after that run I've just alluded to because our worst run of form was without Lascelles in the team, especially defensively. Um, I also think we've had the resurgence of Diame and Shelby. We've added Kennedy to the team. So lots of things have started to turn a corner. So it's not just Paul Dummett. He's come back into the team at the right time. And I don't want to discredit the lad for his contribution, but to suggest that the season could have gone any differently if we'd had him from the start is maybe pushing it a bit too far. I still think Paul Dummett is what he is. I mean, Rafa Benitez obviously loves him because he does his job and he, he doesn't really make mistakes anymore. He used to make a lot of mistakes. He plays within his means. He's not the most talented footballer and he's the... You know, if we want to get into Europe and, and push on as a club, assuming everything goes well, um, you don't you don't really see Paul Dummett in that kind of team longer term. But when you're in a scrap like we are right now, he's the first name on the team sheet because yeah, he's because he's he's just got the right attitude for for the fight we're in. Maybe you know what people don't realise about Paul Dummett? He's fast. He's really really fast. I just, I just think it's, it's critical <laughs> no, to right. point that out because it's, people always talk about how, how important it is to have Yedlin on at right back because he can cover him behind. Dummett offers the same thing at left back. He's obviously not quite as fast yeah. as Yedlin, but he, he certainly is quick. And he, uh, when you play him alongside Kieran Clark, who's like a tugboat at times, he, he does offer a bit of extra protection, You're which right. I, think is, I think is really, really important. And the fact his centre-half attributes show more than anything. He wins the ball in the air every time, whether he's playing left back or like slightly inside as part of, a, a part of the three at the back. But... Um, He's got more attributes than I think we've ever realised and Rafa's getting the best out of him and he's not, he's not being asked to do the kind of the things he was asked to do years gone by by McLaren and trying to be a full-back that contributes going forward. We know he can't do that, so, so why bother? Just play left-back, play solidly and we'll get someone mint in like Kennedy who can do the attack and play himself. Ben. It's working better. Yeah, I was just, just going to reiterate that point. I think the, what, what Dummett gives you is, is that defensive solidity that we lacked when he went out of the team. It, it, it was sort of, <laughs> I think, bringing Mankio in who can attack and, and wants to get for, for the forward. It sort of gave us a false sort of sense of, oh, we can get more out of the left back, we can go and attack teams and it opened up a lot. I mean, we, we were at our best when we were, were compact, we were solid. I mean, that run of games we went, went on at the start of the season where we, we won a few in a row. Um, we, it was based on a really solid defensive back four and then and building from that. Um, we sort of lost that a bit when he went out the team because it was almost, we, we went a bit more gung-ho. Um, we started playing to, to a front and it was just the, the mentality of the team seemed to shift with him out. When he came back in, it just went completely the other way. We, we, we realised actually, no, we need to be solid at the back and we built from that. 
Yeah, I wrote an article for True Faith this week, which got a lot of love on Twitter. So thanks to everybody who said the kind words. And um, he's just the kind of player that that you want your football club to produce. Like if Newcastle's academy was to churn out five or six really dependable, really professional blokes who could who could play in the Premier League. I'm not talking about producing Lionel Messi here, but if if the academy could produce that, then it would be some academy to have in the Premier League. And unfortunately, it doesn't. And that's a we're asked to talk about that on this show. I think that's a whole podcast, uh, you know, involving people who are far more <coughs> invested in the local youth system than we are. Um, but yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, Anthony, Anthony um, Edmonds Fee says, Sai, um, do you think if the club's taken over um, and Rafa's given money to spend, Paul Dimmitt will still be the left back next season, number one left back next season? I think he would because at the minute there's far more important areas to strengthen, obviously attacking wise. Um, I think we still need to find a Another partner for Lascelles. I mean, I've not given up on Lejeune, but he had a wobble over Christmas, didn't he? Great game last um, week, though. He did. Tremendous. Um, yeah, I, I think, of course he would. I, I think Raffle will now be looking at the team thinking, right, left-back's not the most <coughs> important position anymore like he was at the start. Because Paul Dummett's kind of improving that he can do it at Premier League level now. And when we got relegated, that wasn't the case. So the, the amount he's improved by is incredible. And it, I, I don't think he would be the first kind of one for the chop if, if <laughs> Raffle did have all this money to spend in the summer. Uh, ben, did you want to say something? I was just, uh, it's all right, it was on the last point. Fair enough, we'll move on. Um, Sai, um, before we talk about Jamal, we've um, got a question here from Andy Husband saying, Chancellor Mbemba, what's gone wrong? Right, the, the reason Lascelles has progressed and um, Chancellor hasn't, I, I think Mbemba is, is our best defender, technically, Whoa. but Whoa. <laughs> as, as the song goes, he is technically he's the best, he's, he's really good with his feet. He knows what he's doing and he's, he's good in the air, he's fast, but he does mental things and there's obviously a bit of a communication barrier and he just doesn't seem to be able to carry out the role in a kind of calm and, and logical way. Like he's, he's class individually, but he's, you know, he probably meant at five aside. He just doesn't seem to understand the Premier League. Rafa said that at some point, possibly to you, Alex, um, <laughs> that Mbemba didn't know it, couldn't speak English. Yeah. Rafa's, Rafa's obviously had a massive, massive impact on Jamal Lasalle's and the way he plays football and what his position, everything about LaSalle's game has got better under Rafa. He hasn't been able to do that with Mbemba because he can't understand. Well, Rafa speaks a bit of French and um, no one wants to come on this, but just quickly, it was in the Chronicle, so it's not like I've broken any trust with Rafa in <laughs> um, releasing secrets on the podcast. But it's, it's, that's been printed in, in print that it was a frustration last season about his lack of ability to learn English quick enough. But um, that was about a year, that was more than a year ago. So that's set- possibly, well, it wasn't more than a year ago, it was probably back in May, but... Um, just quickly though to, um, to, to look at it a different way I think a, a great um, example of Chancellor Mbemba would be Chelsea away in the cup right first 15-20 there he's the man he's blocking he's intercepting he's moving the ball quickly and you think fucking hell here is a player like this is the Chancellor Mbemba would be missing and then Eden Hazard runs along the side of the penalty area and he signs him down and he's about 15 metres away from the ball and it's a yellow card and he's on a booking for the 75 minutes left and Hazard wasn't particularly going anywhere and now they've got a free kick, they didn't score it. But that's Chancellor Member for you. It's like he looks a million dollars and then he looks thirty quid. Yeah. Like in the same in the same game. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that inconsistency is what, in my opinion, more than the language barrier, it's that inconsistency yeah. in his game and his lack of ability. I think he reads the game really well, but he also, to completely contradict myself, he reads the game very well. But his decision making. His decision making yeah. is just absolutely shocking um, on a number of levels. But yeah, that's which, that's which probably the, the the primary reason. Yeah, yeah so um, the decision making aspect is is the main reason he probably doesn't get in the team because he seems to instill like fear into his into his teammates. 
that that kind of daft thing at Chelsea and and in other games where he's played he's you've always got that Lascelles comes away from his man to try and because he's not he can't predict what Mbemba's going to do and I think that's why he just can't be trusted to to be in the starting lineup. I mean I think as well he he's very much more um, an attacking mindset. He, the rest of the team are very risk first. Don't take any 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 sort of risks. They're, they're happy to clear the ball. We're, we're so at times, even in last year, I mean, I remember Chef Wed, the, when we, me and Dodgy went down, got beat 2-0 that day. He was trying to shepherd the ball out and then tr- kept it in play and, and, and cleared yeah. it straight away on the plate and just like... Just let the goal ball, ball yeah, go out, yeah. Yeah, it's just, he just takes unnecessary risks because he's, he's, he's thinking about... How how can we sort of work work yeah, because, out from because here? he is good at football. He just doesn't suit what he, we. What he is. We're doing. I think he'd be much better in a in a more attacking, offensive side-minded team. Whereas the rest of the back, well, Dummett and Lascelles are very much now. We'll we'll re, we'll get the ball out. We'll rebuild. We'll get compact again, and we'll go from there. And I just think it's a mix of philosophies there between. He just doesn't fit in with Newcastle at the minute. If if Chancellor Bemba hadn't come to us, he would be costing Chelsea. 38 million quid next season after a good World Cup mm-hmm. well not the World Cup because I'm qualified but do you know what I mean like he'd, he'd have gone on to like I don't know Lyon or someone in the French League and looked fucking unbelievable and then Chelsea would have spent 38 million quid and then he'd like come on loan in Newcastle the year after <laughs> yeah. if I still owned by Ashley was he, was he from Anderlecht wasn't he? he he came from Anderlecht yeah so I was going to say they were playing in the Champions League last year like he, that, he would have had that platform to build yeah. on and like they've they've produced a lot of good players. You can see exactly that happening. Once once he got that exposure, he would have been on bigger, better things. But Poor Chancellor. Yep. So moving on from from one very inconsistent defender to side uh, Jamal Lascelles, who just is Mister Newcastle United at the minute. Uh, you know how good is he and why? Just just take it away, really. Yeah. I don't have a question. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get too carried away with him because I don't think he would get too carried away with him. He's, he seems like the he's got that Rafa mentality already, which is why he loves him so much. Of kind of just take each game as it comes. Don't get carried away. Don't don't kind of believe in your own hype, even though he's class. And part of me saying that because I don't want him to get too much uh, national recognition because he'll go or you know people are saying get him to Russia. He obviously probably is at the minute the best performing English defender in the league. But don't take him to Russia because then we might someone buy him. Hmm. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know how you I don't know where it's come from, but like that that period before Christmas that I've already mentioned where we kind of went on a four or five game run of conceding six. 16 goals and you just kind of realise how important he was because it wasn't just he's not like as I've just said Chancellor Mbemba is probably a better technical player but and that's not that's not Lascelles' game he's just he's just such a common presence and when he's not on the team the whole defence looks lost nobody has a clue what they're doing but when he's on the team he's barking orders he's winning the ball he's not doing anything daft you've just mentioned like Paul Dummett he doesn't hang on to the ball too much he doesn't do anything anything clever or put it put in any risks he just does his job and he does it perfectly and you, I think Norman said earlier in the show he can't think of a mistake he's made no, no, no goals have come from Lascelles making a mistake sometimes he leaves his man to try and cover a teammate but it's, it's never his fault that, that things have gone wrong and you know what they, the know, form... he lost his man against Burnley but <laughs> yeah but I'm sure I'm sure Kieran Clark did something mental or, yeah blame um, someone else Come so, on, no, yeah. Norman sorry sorry we lost um, a couple of things uh, we've mentioned this before, um, me and you, Alex, when we were down at Man U, and the, the kind of physical difference between the size of Man U's players and, and war players. Lascelles has the kind of that very modern footballer's physique. He's just a big, powerful, athletic unit. And what he also does is he's such a threat from like, corners. He's fucking brilliant in the air. And what's he got? Four four headed goals this season, I think, maybe? Um, He's just a, he's just a danger. He's 
his all-round game. Like I don't recall seeing a player at Newcastle in my whole lifetime of watching them that is, has gone from kind of how he looked under McLaren, keen and determined, but like a little bit, a little bit sort of lost to to what he is now. Within within two years, he's gone from being like somebody who's so unbelievably raw to this like really accomplished Premier League defender, and it's it's testament to him and it's testament to the coaching that he's that he's taken on. Um, he's listening to the coaching, and the coaching's brilliant, and it's just really good to see. And obviously, if he gets to Russia, then he gets to Russia, whatever. But I, I couldn't care about that. I just love what, he, what he's doing in Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, what you're saying is improving all the time, and given another couple of years at this rate, he will be our best defender technically as well as everything else. So he's he's an all rounder. He's he's getting better and better. And you know what? I think the best thing for him is to stay where he is and to keep what he's doing. Because if he if he took that kind of easy route and took a massive contract in a big club, I don't think he'd he'd rob himself of the development that he's been getting over the last year. Go on, man. He he as well. He'd, I mean, <clears throat> it's been it's well known that he's he's not the most comfortable on the ball. I mean, you can see it when he's bringing the ball out he'll do it because he's a leader and he'll take that responsibility on but it, but he's not comfortable on it so I mean, if you sent him to a big club where you, you're probably going to get a lot more of the ball he would, he would struggle I think the key thing you said there was the, and you mentioned it as well Norman is the coaching I mean we, we didn't see him under McLaren he didn't get a look in and then Rafa came in for that last 10 games and he almost he, he, it was just like who's this kid that's come in and is now barking orders and telling Chancellor and Bemba, who's who's meant to be one of the, the sort of senior figures at the club, what to do, where to be, and and there was a we saw a glimpse of this for the, the last ten games when we, we went down that he looked like he could be someone who can build around. Um, we, we, he sort of took a little backward step almost in the championship, and and I think we we mentioned it a few times. On the set, he looks more suited to the Premier League, where he it it's yeah, he's like a big game player. He's got that character about him where he's not phased by. The Agueros, the, the the big name sort of that he comes up against, and he and he just keeps it simple. And um, I think what he, what he, he what he's done is he's learned. You can tell he's everything Rafa's uh, sent to him. He takes on board, and he's been doing much better. And, and that was what sort of I was going to make the point before you, Dom, um when you were talking about getting five dummits from the academy. Get five dummits under John Carver and bloody Steve McLaren. And we're, we're going to be fucked. Get them under bloody Benitez, and he'll turn them into Premier League players. Yeah. And that's that's the key. And that's why, obviously, you, you see Dummett and Benitez have come. Uh, sorry, Dummett and um, Lascelles have come on under Benitez because he's improved them, and, and now they don't look out of places. Premier League side, uh, pre- in Premier League sides. Are you saying Johnny Evans hasn't improved since uh, John Carver's <laughs> took over? <laughs> well, the fact that he's been stealing taxes and whatnot, <laughs> probably taking that right from Carver. To be fair, this is the thing about this trip to Barcelona. No one set out about Carver. He is the he is the most volatile. Yeah, like it's like yeah, Alan, you lost your phone and wallet on the first night when you you know presumably you should have been in bed, not out drinking. You lads nicked a taxi. Where's John Carver? <laughs> like, he hasn't come he back. Hasn't been found yet. Yeah. So moving from uh, one. Brilliant player to another, Michael. Um, you were going to question, which we're going to talk about. Um, we've got one from Atlee Cross 91. Whose revival as a Newcastle United player has been more emphatic, Modi Arme or James Perch? Oh, I was a massive, massive fan of Perch. Like. Got some great questions this week. Um, Thanks everyone who submitted them. You know, I've, I've combined some as well, so you haven't me mentioned it because it was duplicated. Sorry. When I was making my notes for this the other day, my first point about Diarme was, is he the most remarkable turnaround in, in memory for a Newcastle player? And I was trying to think of anyone else really that you can compare that was, that's gone, I mean, obviously within this room, particularly with Alex, he's been revered since he got here. But but amongst the wider fan base, and certainly amongst the dicks, the dicks at the, at the ground, 
he's been hated really and booed off the pitch, all sorts. And now he's now he's he's the first name on the sheet. He's he's the best player in our team. I can't think of anyone that that, that compares with that. But Perch is a really good shout because Perch was terrible when he first signed, like horrific. And then when he left, everyone was furious. So I don't know. Obviously, obviously it's Diarmid. Leon Best and Joey Barton. Well, I'm not sure about Barton because Barton came with ability. Um, but, 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 but from the getting sent off at Liverpool to being player of the season our first year back in the Premier League, that's some turnaround. Turnaround. That's true. And then, then best I'll give you as well. The Leon Best hat trick at West Ham, no one saw that. That's they true. Just all kicked off from there. Go on, I would think that um, based on how uh, integrity became last season, that Johan Gufran is probably was probably a big shock. Um, Good show. Obviously not not in Rafa's plans at all. She won't into fucking defensive midfield and a McLaren. Who am I? Um, <laughs> and just uh, just becoming such an important cog in that side. Um, so he, he was a good turnaround. What I will say about Perch is I don't think Perch necessarily became a good player. I just think he became a bit of a kind of cult hero, whereas the army is actually shown like really good ability um, on the pitch. Um, Perch, yeah, don't get me wrong, graft, desire, everything like that, but not particularly naturally good footballer whereas I think the army is a good player and he showed that years ago and that's just coming out again so yeah uh, for, for me the, the thing about the army it, it builds on what Norman said before the fact that he's such a big bloke the fact that he can bully Paul Pogba when we played you know Isaac Hayden probably isn't that much smaller than Moody army they're both over six foot the army's probably got an inch or two on 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 Hayden when Hayden and Marino played at Old Trafford in the league and against Pogba and Matic, we played well, but that's where the game was lost. We were, were unable to stop them waltzing through the middle of the pitch and counter-attacking. Moody Army against Paul Pogba, was, was that was men against boys, but we were the men and they were the boys. And you know we're, we're going to talk about Shelby in a minute, but Diarmé physically dominated both of them and scared them. He scared Paul Pogba. He got it. He got. He, he did that kind of traditional English thing, even though he was he's a French lad who played for Senegal, of getting a couple in early on Pogba, like a couple in first five minutes of like not fouls, not not like he's not a dirty cunt like Lee Catamull, who you know will talk talk about them and think about his fall from grace as if he's ever been fucking good. Lee Catamull, the Lee Catamull <laughs> that you see now at the bottom end of Division Two is the Lee Catamull's always played for Sunderland. He's just surrounded by worse players, so he looks shit. Modi Army is, is a really good footballer, and some of his player, particularly Palace, Burnley, Man United, on the ball, and his ability to bring teammates into play is as important as his physicality. But the most important thing is we're no longer powder puff in the middle of the park. And if, if Modi Army hadn't turned into what he t- is becoming, and, and I've been a big fan of his for a long time because I've always known what he's had available, I thought last season he didn't get anywhere near the credit he deserved for some fantastic performances. Birmingham at home springs out, you know, beat Birmingham 4-0 and he ran that game against Birmingham with the best defensive side in the division. And he did the same thing, albeit playing number 10. He bullied Birmingham that day. Wigan away, Burton away is very good. Wigan at home, crucial contributions. And yeah, there were players last season who contributed more than him. And he also has a bad game. He is a frustrating footballer at times. He has a bad touch when he's not playing well, particularly in the 10 role. And I think that number 10 role just didn't suit him that well, but he still contributed in a meaningful way. And why I'm su- such a cheerleader for him is because no one else in the fan base really seemed to highlight that. Doesn't mean he was brilliant last season. I just thought he was a good enough player. I think someone tweeted us earlier in the season when I suggested bringing Modi Arme back into the team and they were like, the only people that are talking about Modi Arme is a Newcastle United player of the True Faith podcast. Well, there you fucking go. Like, <laughs> he's absolutely class. I'm sorry to jump in on your bit, Mickey, because well, this is your bit, but 
what a, what a turnaround in, in in the fact if he stays fit and he stays in this form, we'll stay up comfortably. It'll not even be close. That's how that's how good he's been. He, he, he is playing like a twenty five million pound midfielder at the minute. I don't think that's an exaggeration. If not more, yeah. if not more, Shelby, is is it now him and Mo? And why do you, and do you think Mo has bought the best out of Shelby? Definitely yes. Um, obviously, the way Diarmi's been playing, he's almost he's almost playing like two midfielders. He does both things, but he does the defensive graft so effectively and picks up the ball so effectively in more advanced positions than Hayden was doing in the same role. So it's allowing Shelby to get on the ball 10 or 15 yards further at the pitch than he previously has been, which I think is crucial because it gives it gives that extra edge to his to, to his next pass. His next pass is a much more attacking move and a much more threatening move because he's because he's doing it from 15, 20 yards further at the pitch. That wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Diarmé. Diarmé won the ball back with Man United 12 times in that game. 12 times! That's that's frightening. How can you play against that? <laughs> and every time he got that ball, within basically every time he got that ball, he gave it to Shelby, and Shelby moved it on. Uh, to be to to be put in a centre midfield position with the range of passing that Shelby's got, but just to be fed the ball constantly by your centre midfield partner must be an absolute joy. And um, uh, it's no uh, it's no shock that we're seeing the best of Shelby playing alongside Diarmé because of, because of that. Very well answered. Um, we've got, got a question here from um, at David McAndrews. Did Rafa kidnap Kennedy? As Kennedy looks very confused every time he walks out at St James's Park. <laughs> I've all seen that because we're at the match, obviously. <laughs> One thing I've noticed about Kennedy, which I've actually found a little bit disappointing, was he doesn't acknowledge the fans. No, I don't know, to them it doesn't really matter, but to us it does, and the Castle fans it does. And Previously with new players, I've seen some of the more experienced heads say to them, go to the corner. Go and look, go and go and take the applause at the corner because they want to give it to you. And Kennedy hasn't really hasn't really is done that yet. Is that what he means by confused? I hope no one. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. I think I think one thing that the only Castle fans would like is Kennedy to stay, and you'll get it. You'll get what it means to play for Newcastle if he acknowledges the fans, and you'll get the appreciation back. Now is he confused to be here? Probably. He's he, he's a bit. He's completely different to everyone we've got in terms of the level of his ability and he's Brazilian and what, what he's been doing and who he's been playing with, but. His confusion will dissipate because he's going to be coached by Rafa Benitez, who is at least on par with Antonio Conte. Norman? On, on the Kennedy thing there, um, the, there's a very infamous previous uh, story uh, about him, and that, that suggests to me that he's just not the, the sharpest tool in the box. That's not an insult, but um, maybe he's just not, uh, not particularly bright. I'm sure with the coaching staff you, well, you know, all, all that will change, obviously. The difference between like maybe him and Dubrovka, who's like been banging on about the fans this week, is that Kennedy, in all likelihood, has no intention of staying. He's here to prove himself as a Chelsea mm-hmm. player. Yeah. He's not here to make friends with us. He's here to prove himself. And if that's his attitude, then more power to him. You know, what I mean, he wants to be like that, be like that. But will change. will change for longer. Yeah, I think. I think. I think. I think. Yeah, like if he, if we stay up and he proves to be like, a really important part of the side, which it looks like he already is, then. By the end of the season, it'll be one of those where you, you've not, you want to stay. Well, yeah, he's got no future at Chelsea, but I think that's obviously the thing that ties on his agenda at the minute is proving that he can, he can play at a level like that, which is unfortunately higher than we are at the minute. No, I think I think you were right what you said before, Paul, and I don't think you'd be here beyond the summer because I, I, even when Conte, I know Conte probably won't be either, but the way they spoke about him, it was experience for Kennedy. And from what we've seen so far, he's fucking class. He's so much better than anything we've got. He could go back to Chelsea and... and Try and try and make a career of it there, and until we're until we're competing in the top end of the table, we're we're beneath players like Kennedy at the minute. It, it very much depends what happens <coughs> at Chelsea, but 
what what he should realise and what other players are realising about Newcastle is we are building something here and if he if he was to stay around and spend another year say with Vafa as his coach playing every game because he will play every game if he's fit he, he comes out at the end of next season on top of the world and, and maybe he can't push back in the Chelsea team but if you chuck him in the Chelsea squad now he doesn't get near I mean I think that his position where he's been played at Chelsea they've obviously got Alonso who's probably been one of their most consistent best players this season so he's, he's, he's going to have to beat a player out like that, which will be difficult. However, apparently Real Madrid are looking at him, so you never know. I mean, I think side side had it spot on there. He's on loan. He's, he's got 10 games here um, still to go. He's, he's probably not sort of concerned about us at the minute. Obviously, he's here to do a job and he'll, he's, he's going to put a shift in and do his best. But I, I think you're right, Si. It's just a case of it's a short term. He doesn't see his future at Newcastle. He's, he's wanting to go on to... To, to sort of Champions League football and, and kick on from that but what what you, you, you will get while he's here is um, we me and Dodds went to the talking with uh, Rafael last week and Rafael we're talking about sort of he's, he's an educator he, he wants to he doesn't just tell tell players what they need to do he wants them to think for themselves so he, he might even uh, learn learn a couple of things maybe he's in, in, uh, increase his uh, mental capacity a little bit while he's here and uh, that'll do him some good going forward Nice one. Mickey, I've just asked you the question. Jose Perez, discuss. Yeah, difficult one. Difficult question to uh, interpret. Where do I go with this? Um, well, my, my first point about Perez, and what I think is important to say, is that, he, that he, he works really, really hard for the team in every single game. And Perez is doing what I think is a, it's a really thankless role that he's been given because he's playing number 10, and he is a number 10 probably in, uh, in terms of where he wants to be in his career. But he's not, he's not really playing as a number 10, he's playing as a defensive midfielder in a very advanced position. And he's doing that under the instruction of Rafa Benitez, obviously because we are a defence-minded team. Now he, he puts an absolute shift in, closing the ball down constantly when, when their midfield's trying to bring it up. And it's very effective and I think it makes our defensive players, it makes their jobs a lot easier. But he isn't, a num- he isn't playing as a number 10, so he, he for me is, is sacrificing better in his own career to play for the team which is which is excellent and I love that about him um, but it, it puts him in a difficult position going forward because he's not going to be taken by another team as number 10 because he's not showcasing his abilities as number 10 and he's realistically in my opinion going to be probably the first position that Rafa looks to change because he isn't he isn't good enough going forward if we want to try and, and put the screw to teams. Two goals this season's disappointing but then all the attacking players have got disappointing goal returns. One of them is a striker as well. I think he's a striker personally. I thought his best game came at Stoke away when he's running down the channels. He's moving in between the centre-back and the full-back. Kind of a, a budget Dwight Gale, but with a little bit more ability inside the box. Less he obviously pace. Less pace is what I mean by budget. I don't mean that particularly disrespectfully to him. The good thing about Perez, the seven games he failed to start, we only won one. Yeah. And that was West Ham away. Um, I, I mean... We played 4-4-2 West Ham, or Gale played 10 at West Ham behind Hosley, whichever way we're looking at it. Um, in the 18 games he has played, we won five, and that's obviously a win every kind of three and a half games compared to a win one in every seven games. So those stats alone say that he's having a good season. There are people who, who think he doesn't try hard because they, they don't understand that when you're playing the number 10 position in Newcastle, you can't spend 90 minutes sprinting about because you'd be nagged. Um but you know what? It's working at the minute. We, you know, Sai, me and Sai always used to dislike Perez and Gale together. Would have fucking worked on Sunday, didn't it? So we were proven wrong. Um, it'd be interesting to see whether Gale goes behind Slomani and Perez stays there when Slomani's fit. 
uh, that would be something that can only be answered in, in due course. It makes a different, it's a completely different combination to Perez behind anyone because Gale's going to be running past every time the ball goes forward, which Perez doesn't do. Mm-hmm. And it would, it'll detriment the defense, defensive mindset if, if Perez isn't in there. It's, he's effective, it's worked. Yeah. We've got loads more listener questions to get through, so we're going to crack on with Ben's part here since we're about an hour and ten minutes in. Ben, you're going to concentrate with us on the, the battles of our survival and the running. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a couple of questions straight away. Um, do you think that our, this is from Toontone, do you think that our survival chances doubled because of the result against Man United? Um, I, don't, I don't think you can say it doubled, but it, it was in terms of the, the um, impact it'll have on the squad, it, it'll have given them an unbelievable amount of belief. And also, it was a bank. That was a banker defeat for for us to everybody else. I mean, we talked about it. I think at the time, every other team down there was thinking, "Oh, well, Newcastle are definitely going to get beat." So we know, like, they're 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 going to drop into the bottom three, and it's just that cushion. Getting that, other teams are thinking, "Fuck!" Like they've they've, they've picked a uh, three points up there that they didn't expect. Where are we gonna gonna get that that sort of those three points back? Um, <clears throat> I mean, it, I just think it's gonna it's gonna have a bigger impact on on the sort of belief of the team. I think had we not picked up that point there, facing six more of the the top seven, I think to play, um, we would have been thinking there's not many more opportunities. We've only picked up one point uh, from those games at the, in the first half of the season when we got that point against Liverpool, and and especially when it's coming down to the business end for them. I mean, the the, the battle for top four is a bit of a nightmare for them really because. All of those teams are going to need to pick up points, and um, it, it just that I think that's why it just came out of nowhere because um, Man Man U need needed to pick up three points there really to sort of keep that that distance, and um, the fact that we've done it, it's it's going to give a massive massive confidence boost to the team. And I think now we we know we can go against any team. I mean, Man U are the second best team in the league at the minute. If we can beat them and play play the way we did and dominate them. Why why can't we do that against anyone? So I think it's the sort of the the belief that it'll give us is, is going to be more important than just the, the the context of the three points. I mean, so moving on to the rest of your stuff. I mean, obviously, I presume you think we'll stay up. Um, I do. Um, Ad Smart asks, "How soon will it be, and can it be, please, against Padres West Brom?" <laughs> How are you predicting it? So I suppose that's a general question. But go on then. Where are we getting points in this running back? So um, I mean, we're away to Bournemouth, which. Um, uh, Bolland and um, Norman are off to next week. Um, I think you look at the way Bournemouth played against Huddersfield last week. They got absolutely embarrassed. Had the pants pulled down. They, I mean, they they created a great chances, run before that, though. but but they they do embarrassed. But that that was a way sort of a way to to Huddersfield. They've been doing quite well at home. Um, obviously back at home, that that they're, they're going to be looking for a reaction at that. So I think that'll be a really tough game for us to to pick some of them. I think if we do, I, I, I would. Sort of the best I can see we're getting there as a point realistically, um, just on the way that we we set up, um, we are better away from home than um than we are at St James's, so we've got that going for us. But um, I'm gonna, I'll just be totally honest, you're gonna have to be quicker each fixture. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing our time for like <laughs> eleven of these. Well, that that's that's the point. Um, I mean, I think the games that we can look at, we're gonna go, go to Anfield. I don't see we get anything there. Home to Southampton will be a big one. Um, we've got home to Huddersfield. Uh, which I expect sort of six points from them. So all right, good. And then, and, then going, and, then, and then we're going to West Brom. I think if we get three points to West Brom, that will put us past. So my prediction, one of the things I did was I looked at what the relegation has been for the last five seasons. Um, and basically, if you get to 36 points, you're pretty much safe. 
So that will put us on 37 with those nine points. So I think when we beat West Brom, to answer the question, that'll be us staying up and we'll be having a party. <laughs> should send Barty a card. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Out of all of that, though, because that's very positive and great, is there anything that could go wrong? Is there anything, like, if something happens in injury or a red card or we we'll yeah. lose one of them games, is it absolute? Like, because he's saying, oh, that's just these games. But are you having one down as losing the other games to you? What are you worried about out of all that? I think the worry, the worry is definitely injuries. I mean... Um, we we know how hard it's been to to uh, to get goals up to this point. Um, I mean we've we've we've, we've focused on being a, tough to beat and and nicking uh, nicking points at the end of games. Now, <coughs> if we lose someone like Lascelles, I mean we saw what happened when Dummett went out. Um, if we lose Lascelles, that that would be massive just because you, you'd lose. I think his character in the team and the confidence he gives everybody and the belief that that he carries. Um, is, is massively important to us so I think injuries wise that, that would be the one I'd be most concerned with I mean I think in terms of the attacking players nobody's really stood out so I, th- I think maybe barring um, Kennedy or, or potentially Shelby um, the, 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 I think they're interchangeable the forward players um, I mean you look at some, some of the other teams that have lost in, that, that have had big injuries I mean Crystal Palace losing Zaha is a fucking nightmare for them like, that, that's going to going to have a real big impact on them so I think that would be me, me concerned but I think there's enough games in there that we can get the points we need. Norman? Just quickly, um, we've got, what, 13 points from our last nine games. Let's just ignore the, the nine-game spell that we only got one point in. That's, that's, <laughs> let's consign that to history and focus on the uh, last nine games. If we get 13 points from our next nine games, that'll give, uh, what, 41 points with 36 mm-hmm. games played? We're going to be alright. I'm not concerned. Funny enough, that's what I've got. I think when I did my predictions of the week, I had about 40-41 finishing at the end of the year, so... It would be fine. Nice one. So Ben, who's going down and why before we get through a host of listener questions? So <clears throat> it's a t- tough one. This I think it's mainly because there's just some absolute shite down there at the bottom. Um, I've I've got that. I believe well, West Brom I think are gone, and especially after this farce that they've had on on holidays, like he's going to have to pick players that have, have embarrassed him and, and let him down. So I think they're gone. They've got too much of a, a mountain to climb. I think Southampton um, are really really going to struggle. They've, uh, Charlie Austin's out for a few more weeks. Um, he was the only real player that had been getting goals. Shane Long, who's played over twenty, I think he's played twenty-two games this season, scored one goal. Do so you want a game for us? That's very yeah. similar to what yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, So, like, you look at him being there, sort of predominantly their, their number one striker. He's not getting the goals for them, and, and they just keep shipping silly goals. Of sold Van Dijk, um, and the manager just looks like he's he's lost at this level. I don't think he's he's up to the the Premier League. Southampton, funny enough, were the only real sort of side that have been in trouble that haven't changed manager and I think it's going to cost them uh, because of that. And then uh, the, the last spot I've got between um, Palace and Swansea just because I know... I, 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 I know. No, I think you look at who, who the players have got um, and the games that they've got left. Um, Palace losing Zaha. The Ben Techie's only scored two goals all season. Um, Sacco, their other attacking outlet, is out injured. He's done for the season. Zaha's going to miss the majority of it. Um, I mean Hodgson is, is a good manager I think he'll get them um, sort of compact but their, their top scorer is uh, Milojevic who's, who's got seven um, five of them have been penalties probably most of them won by Zaha like you take yeah. that out of the team it's a massive impact and they've got some big games and then Swansea the other one that I think just they've, they've had this big high since Carvajal's come in they've picked up some massive massive results um, but they've still got a lot of tough games to come in you just look at the, the way their team I, I think they struggle 
Um, I've surprised myself because, I mean, as I say, Stoke, I think, are, are really poor, but they've, they've got uh, Shakiri who's still a quality player. Like He could be the difference in games. Um, they've, they've got a lot of goals, actually, as well, in, in Chupamoting and um, Crouch, uh, who's, who's been getting a few goals for them. Um, and even Diouf. I mean, Diouf's got five goals for them. Like Playing sort of like as a right wing back against us, I think, earlier on in the season, a bit of an odd one. They seem to have more goals in their team. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be out of... Out of those ones, I think the championship teams are all got that workmanlike approach to it. They're at home, they're going to pick up points and they're going to continue to. Um, whereas I think sort of the, the your, your Swansea's and Palace, uh, I mean, the pair of those teams were at one point cut adrift at the start of the season. So they're, they're not good teams. I mean, Swansea, everyone had them written off until Carvajal came in. Palace went something like seven games at the start of the season without picking a point. So I think there's, 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 there's sort of... We've got evidence that those teams have gone on really horrific runs, and I just I think what what's to come, I can see them uh, slipping up. Fair enough. I think that's uh, very well, very well summarised, Ben. Cheers. Uh, I'm so shocked you have got Stoke in there. And Huddersfield I'm... and Brighton. You've got some. Kind of got big a lot, they've, got, they've got a lot of home games. You are Norman. Sorry. Huddersfield and Stoke. I mean, Paul Lambert is absolutely fucking abysmal as a football manager, regardless of what. Modicum of talent Stoke might have. They like they're on a massive downward spiral. I'd be very surprised to see them stay up. And Huddersfield, Huddersfield just—they've just been found out so badly. Yeah, the Bournemouth was all fair enough, but Bournemouth—the style of football that Eddie Howe plays it almost played directly in Huddersfield's hands. That wouldn't happen between now and the end of the season. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if um, <coughs> neither of Huddersfield nor Stoke are occupying one of the relegation spots at the end of the season. I, will, I, I have to say that was based on my um, prediction of the the results and stuff, and I, I I would have said Huddersfield surely got to go down, but when I did my calculator, they didn't come out. I think what this means though, we've just listed about six or seven teams that are definitely going down, so we're we're, we're safe. <laughs> exactly. what, what, one point I wanted to make from what Ben was saying before about the the teams at the top of the league who, um, you know, we've got to play. I think if if you if you were Liverpool and you were Spurs, and I know that they're good teams. I'm not saying we're going to go there and win. If they had to handpick a team not to play with us in the bottom half, because we're so defensively sound and we don't get blown away, you play. If, if you're Spurs and you've got Huddersfield at home after doing them four 0 away, you like we'll fancy ourselves against these. If it's Newcastle and it's Raf, it's like well, back was back with a win, but fucking hell, it's going to be a pain in the arse bringing these pricks down. So that's that. I've got loads of questions to get through from listeners. Uh, at Jack Talbot, at BV Inton, at Andrew Carruthers, and at MGA nineteen eighty. Sorry, ignore that last one. Those two all asked the same question, lads. Bonnell, I'll go to you for this one. If we stayed up and the club gets taken over, do you see these kind of heroes of ours, your Diarmes, your Richies, your, even your Lascelles, presumably Lascelles, all those really hard grafting lads, do you think Rafa will build a team around them with better players or do you think they could be consigned next season if we stay up and we're taken over? I think the majority of them will stay because we're not going to, even if we get taken over, there's not going to be wholesale changes. We're not going to clear out the majority of the squad and bring new players in. Obviously, the likes of Shelby, LaSalle, Rifty, Dummett, you know, those types of players, they'll still be around next year. Whether they'll be starting, who knows? You know, I think someone like Diame is probably on his way out just because of his age, but. It's only 29. Guys like Gail, LaSalle, and Shelby, and that, they'll still be around, yeah. Good, good one. Um... Ben, at MGA1980, if we did stay up and the teams that you say that go down are going to go down, is there anyone who you think would be worth Newcastle and Rafa going to get? Mm-hmm. Townsend? Yeah, Townsend. Yeah, it's, so, it's yeah, def- well, that, that's the thing. I mean, I think they'll be on to bigger and better things. Um, 
that's a tough one off the Alright, we'll come back to you because Shakiri, when Stoke do go down. Zaha will be wanted by a lot of teams, I think. Yeah, we're not going. Um, can I just quickly make another point on what you asked me? Like, you wouldn't get rid of them as well just because you don't want to get rid of that nucleus, like the heart of the squad. You don't want to rip that out and replace it with something that might not be there. Like, these guys like the Cells and Shelby are fundamental to what Rafa's building now. They've been around since the start. Like, to rip that, the nucleus out of it would just be absolutely mental. So, most of them will stay. Cool. And um, I'll, answer, I'll take this one from Jordy Walworth. Uh, if we're still with a few games to go, can you see any under 23 players being given a go? No, because Mike Ashley would do his fucking nut. Um, it's £1.2 million you get paid per Premier League place. So the, the difference between finishing 10th and 13th is like 3.6 million quid or even bigger. So if you brought in a, a young lad who made a mistake, I mean, yeah, you're right. In the, Back in the good old days when the money wasn't so imperative, you probably would see a few young lads blooded. But now every every point and every quid is precious, particularly if we don't get taken over. Rafa will know that as well, like... The difference between you know it was that famous game wasn't it when under Pardew on the last day of his first season were three 0 up against West Brom at half time and drawn three three moved from eighth to thirteenth I think it was only eight hundred grand at the time but it was still four million quid the loss with that second half performance when uh, choice scored that ridiculous hat trick um, so yeah Mike Ashley's probably got that like on on loop you know every time he goes to the bathroom just that second half like <laughs> to remind them that he lost four million quid there so I, I, I can't see it personally Mick I think Rafa's too professional for that in, in, in the current climate and I think he's going to want to finish as high as absolutely possible to, to prove a fucking point to everyone that's detracted from him this year so no I think I think he'll be picking the strongest team every week right till the end okay and um, I'll, do, I'll leave I'll leave this one because we could get answers from everybody and be here forever but for, for Norman and Cy both of you um um, Adi Mack Adi Mack says can, can we get your player of the season so far for like defender midfield and attacker side why don't you go first uh, well defensively you can't look past Lascelles um, we should go for keeper as well because Dubrovka is definitely <laughs> the best keeper to date um, Lascelles undoubtedly in defence but uh, you know Dummett's, Dummett's got a good mention uh, midfield Modi Army based on how he's performed since Christmas um before that, I don't know. Um, and I mean, attack, and I'm going to include the wings. Kennedy's were best player now. But um, uh, honourable mention to, to Hoslu, because the lad doesn't get enough credit for, for the donkey work he's done all season. He's not scored many goals, but without him, would be in a much worse position. Norman, any disagreements on that? Any differences? Given what Simon just said, they have got absolutely zero to add. I agree completely, and that's exactly what I want to say. Fair enough. This is the uh, we've reached the end of a great big massive long three quarter season review. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been great to do. We've enjoyed doing it. We'll be back for you this week, obviously with our, our bonus content for patron subscribers, so you can catch that on um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Wednesday is the big one, the the Bournemouth preview, um, and then you'll also be have the Premier League show Tuesday and the Exiles on Thursday, followed by the Match Day podcast. So, like I said at the start of the show, if you like what we do, please subscribe. Hopefully, five pound a month isn't too much. It also helps this podcast, which you listen to, which will be available at all the usual places free for, for everybody else. Any questions, just give away a shout on social media at TF Weekly Pod, uh, TFNUFC Fanzine on, on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. So I think that's everything. Lads, thanks very much for your contributions today. Uh, we've done one hour 25, longest one. Let's have a one word. Where does everyone think we're going to finish? Where does everyone think we're going to finish? Ben? Uh, 12. 12th from Ben. Bolland? 14th. 14th. Norman? 12th. 12th. 9th. 9th? 11th. 
Nine. <laughs> Ten. Tenth because I think we're better than all the, the rest of the teams in the bottom half. And you know what? We'll, we'll go to Bournemouth this week. There's going to be plenty of twists and turns. There'll be defeats. There'll be negativity. But I just think we're on to a good thing. I think Slomani's going to make a real a real impact. So, you know, Alan Pardew in his top 10 finish um, is basically uh, consigned to history when, when we do it this season. So thanks for listening. We we'll hope you subscribe on Patreon. Uh, and we'll speak to you soon. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.